welcome to another episode of La Ventanita, the Miami Herald Food Podcast. I'm Carlos Frias, the Miami Herald Food Editor, joined by my good buddy and sidekick, and uh, actually the real host of this show today, <laughs> Amy Reyes. Hey. Because we're coming at you with an all Kendall episode, baby. All Kendall, all the time. Oh my God, I I should just like mute myself and just sit back for the next. Because I, I I don't know how we're gonna peel you away from our guest today. No, but you know something, you're the one who brought this place to everyone's attention. You know, like you're the one who sniffed out this Kendall gem. So I think well, you, you know, you take, take you can take as much you can take as much uh, credit as anybody. I'll take some of that credit. That's fine. Uh-huh. That's fine. I don't mind it. I, look, if it means I get to eat delicious barbecue, then I'm I'm down for it. I'm saying you'll drive you'll drive that far, won't you? I will All get my stamp board passed. Hmm? I will get my stamp board passed for that. Uh, <laughs> I passed for stamp for that. Uh. Um, so so uh, I don't know. We have a couple things to catch up on since last week. I mean, last mm-hmm. week was kind of a kind of a crazy week. Um, and and we're trying to get back to the you know having a guest on. Although although I kind of liked their banter show. I enjoyed bantering with you, Carlos. Did the people like the banter show? I think. I think they did. I think I've they like to hear us blather on about food and stuff. Okay. I think it's. I think it's okay. I think the people liked it. We'll do a repeat. I, of I that. don't think that they didn't. I don't think that they hated it. Right. They did not say. like it. They did not like it. <laughs> that's that's kind of the, where the bar is. Yeah. And that's fine. So we. Uh, this is something that I think we touched on last week. Um, uh, but I, well, let's let's start with let's start with Nino Pernetti. Um, yeah. It's kind of a sad start, but but uh, let's let's talk about that first because it's the biggest it's the kind of the biggest news of the week. So Nino Pernetti, you know, the owner of um, of Cafe Abaracci, um, it's really one of those iconic restaurants in Coral Gables. It's the place where like all the uh, the politicians and athletes and celebrities quietly to go to have dinner and not be interrupted. And but it's also a big favorite for locals. But Nino Pernetti. Uh, died at the age of 76. Um, he'd been, uh, he contracted COVID within days of a vaccine being approved and announced uh, in December of 2020. And he was looking forward to taking it. He was, you know, he owns a restaurant and he loves being around people. And and he just, uh, but he got COVID in the days before, like right around the time it was announced. And, um, and he, he, he his body was so wrecked by it, uh, his lungs, his heart were affected, that uh, he just never recovered. So he he was quote unquote cured of COVID, but the after effects, um, he he never fully recovered. He'd been in and out of hospitals and rehabs, and uh, um, and I, I you know we we wrote a big story about him in January about how you know he had been in this eighteen month fight. I mean a year and a half, Amy, and. Um, and finally, on, on on May thirty first, he uh, on May thirty first he died in in uh, rehab. So, we think about um, we think about him and his family. We think about his family, his two daughters, and uh, his ex wife, who actually was a caregiver to him at the end. And uh, and we thank him for for everything for everything he did for Miami's uh, culture and food culture, and frankly, for just being a really nice guy. Yeah, it was an iconic it was an iconic restaurant, and I think that most of the reason why people were so Love the place so much was just the way he made you feel when you went there. You know what? It, that place was so interesting to me because the entire time that I knew it, it had no windows. <laughs> so you drove by and that was one of the guessing games of like what's going on inside mm-hmm. Cafe Orachi. Because outside there'd be Ferraris and Porsches and Rolls Royces and Bentleys getting valeted and this tiny little restaurant. 
Um, I think it's only like, it's got to be like a 50, 60 seat restaurant. It can't Mm -hmm. be more than that. And inside was this uh, heat hat. It's all like paneled in acoustics. So Mm -hmm. like if you're having a conversation, that conversation dies in that booth, you know, (laughs) it's totally like, like, uh, like library hush tones, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he kind of just created this place where it was not pretentious. The food was, um, it was not out of this world, but it was like very fine, very well done North Italian cuisine. And really the whole thing was discretion. Like three U S presidents went there, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's because you knew whether you were, um, you know, whether, whether you were W, whether you were W or LeBron James, if you were sitting at uh, seat 1B, nobody was going to bother There were you. no groupies over there trying no, to there get your no groupies, autograph. No. no, he'd post a, he'd post a waiter right by that table. If there was somebody oh, wow. like really well he known. He playing around. Well, yeah. I think Cafe Abracci, they never posted a waiter by my table. I guess I'm not, I wasn't famous enough. But now after, after this Kendall podcast. <laughs> I'm saying. Yeah. All bets are off. Well, good luck to his daughters. They, um, you reported that they wanted to keep the they're they're going to keep the restaurant open. They're going to keep the the tradition going. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, the the staff that works there, there are a lot of people who have been working there for thirty plus years. Yeah, I mean, the place has been open thirty two years, and they're the general manager's been there for thirty one. Right. You know, so like those people. It's a well oiled machine. Yeah, but really, what people came for was like his level of like this familiar hospitality, but also not overly familiar. Like he made you mm-hmm. feel welcome, but also gave you your space. He wasn't up in your business. No, he was really a study in, um, in that kind of hospitality or like that very old school hospitality, mm-hmm. you know, where you're there when you're needed and you're kind of disappeared when you're not. And, right. and, and people, you know, he had a second restaurant before Abarachi and he realized that whichever, and they were a couple blocks apart and he realized that whichever, restaurant he was reservations moved to that one so he was the draw people wanted to be there for him so we'll see if that's something that the daughters can keep his his oldest daughter used he used to take her to all the tables with him you know and he because he would come and he would sit at your table for a while and he would talk with you know if the situation appeared right right he would bring his daughter and and she seems to have that uh, gregarious personality so well i I, I think they have a shot it's the end of an of an era in Miami's, you know, in Miami's history. But like, I feel yeah. like they can, you know, she's probably studied him enough to know to know how to be hospitable in the way that her dad was. Yeah, we'll see. She's in law school now, so I mean, a lot of things can change. Yeah, for sure. So, what were we talking about all last week, Amy? Oh, uh, Opalaka, Hialeah, Opalaka, Hialeah is the place to go. So we know that we know the place closed, but I was so curious. I think I'm Wait, the only Carlos, person the in the place world. place isn't closed yet. We just, no, we no, just no. got, yeah, they're closing right. at the end of the month. And those vendors have 20 days to figure themselves out because it's closing to the public on June 20th. Um, and then the vendors have to figure out, you know, they got 10 days to pack up, you know, years and years worth of <laughs> merchandise and move someplace else. It's a real, it's a real bummer. This, this place closing. It's a, like a big piece of, it seems like a real, like, like a source of revenue for a lot of people who just couldn't afford to have their own businesses and under other circumstances. So it's a really sad story. However, you know, what will live on forever is that jingle. That jingle will live on forever. And I don't know, was it just me? I'm still trying to figure out whether people cared about that story, but I was genuinely curious about 
the story of that jingle. I mean, when something becomes is such an earworm and is so iconic, I, I, I just naturally started thinking like, where did this come from? Whose idea was this? And, and, um, I mean, the long and the short of it, and this is like not confirmed by his people, but it's not not confirmed <laughs> that that Willy Chirino performed, rewrote the Spanish version of that song. There's a Spanish version and actually performed, recorded the voice for that for that song. And his people are like, like re- I reached out to a very nice guy. He's like, look, I played it for Willy. He can't say that it is or it isn't. You know, it was 40 years ago. He doesn't. He says he doesn't remember. That all to me sounds like. That was me. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that, yeah, I was so busy. He was so busy in the 90s trying to get his hustle on that he had so many jobs. He can't remember what he did. And he did he did the, the flea market song. He did the flea market in, song. In, in the whole course of his, you know, his hustle. I really feel like, I really feel like that's partially attributed to him. I don't think it's wrong. Oh, listen to this. This week, I had the most amazing Arch Center experience you know what they're playing at the Arch Center? Oh, God. What are they playing? Jesus Christ. Superstar. Who are you watching? Something, something. Oh. Okay. So that's, how it, <laughs> that's how it goes-ish. But, um, yeah, <sighs> Jesus Christ Superstar is one of those musicals like Hamilton and like the Book of Mormon that I get really geeked about. And so um, I went to see the musical and it was awesome, obviously. But I just wanted to tell you that I had my first Brava experience. Like Brava's that restaurant that's on the, the second floor of the Arch Center. Oh, right, right. Yeah. And like since I am a musical person, like I like I like to go to musicals depending. Like there, I have a, f- a few that I just won't mess with. But um, so I used to Cats? Go you're to not a cats person? No, I will not. See no Rum Tum Tugger or Rum Tum Tumbler or whatever his I name was? I don't even was. know what you're talking about right now. No, <laughs> no cats. <laughs> I don't even know what to about. I went to that play not knowing that it was a string of short stories and that there was no through line. And I'm like, what is happening? I don't even know what you're talking about. I just know that people dress up like cats and I'm not about that. Don't go to that. Oh my God, dude. In the, in the eighties in Detroit, there was a run of cats at one of the like local big theaters and they had commercials. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I just, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. I'm talking about cats so much, but like cats was, it was that disturbing to me to see those commercials that I was just like, I would never see this musical. I remember that. I remember that as a kid, as a kid, seeing those commercials and being like, you remember a commercial for cats? I do. It was, it was very like epic and like the yeah, cats were yeah, yeah. yes. It, it was, was like and with the cats doing their cats thing. Yeah, no, it, it was epic and terrifying kind of. Yeah, it was bad, bad, bad. Yeah. So, but anyway, Jesus Christ Superstar is great, and you went to Brava. I went to Brava. What was that I like? Because because Kilgore, Brad Kilgore is not involved there anymore. As far I don't as I, think so. I will say this: it is a beautiful place. It was super convenient for for like your theater experience. It was a good experience altogether. Like mm-hmm. I really enjoyed my experience at Bravo. Like the like normally what I would do um in before times when Books and Books was open is I get a table of Books and Books and get like a more low key meal because like I'm you know you're already at the theater you're gonna pay like twenty five bucks for valet so I usually would go to Books and Books get some fried pickles a glass of wine and maybe like a Sammy or something like that. But this was like a real upgrade. Like a major oh, nice. upgrade. Okay. Yeah, it, was, it was nice. And I got, obviously I found the, the one dish that had um, mashed potatoes and I went ham. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> potatoes, more potatoes, please. Yes. Yeah. So I got the salmon and it had these mashed potatoes that were mashed within a, like an inch of their lives. They were no longer, they, it was like almost like baby food mashed potatoes, mm. but it was so good. And I, I really like ate everything on my plate. It was, I would say Brava is a good experience. 
for before a show. Obviously, nobody's going to go there unless they're about to go see something at the Arch Center. So, right, I, right. you know, but like as, as experiences go, I thought it was good. I, I, I miss Brad Kilgore's food. I hope that he opens another restaurant. He's you know what? He he's the chef at there's like a super exclusive racetrack by the Opalaka Airport. Opalaka, oh, yeah. a super exclusive. There's a racetrack where people like super rich guys um, and race car drivers will have like their fancy cars, their Ferraris. So not their race cars, but like their Ferraris and their Bugattis and and uh, their Bentleys. And um, and of course, <laughs> there's a of course, there's a fancy restaurant there and he oh, does okay. the food at that restaurant. So that's that's mainly what he's been doing um, from from what I can tell. Uh, he's not returning my phone calls, so I I don't know what's up with that. It's <laughs> you don't want to talk to you? I don't know. I did nothing but write nice things about him because there was only nice things to write about. And then <laughs> his restaurant's closed, and then he and he forgot my number. I was oh, like, well. take my name out your mouth. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> he forgot all about you. He was like, who did? I was like, dude, it's just a joke. No, he, yeah, he just forgot all about me. But I, I am. But selfishly, uh, food wise, I'm 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 hopeful that he'll open another restaurant that we can like, go to one day, one day. Yeah. Are we are we done with things? Can we talk? Yeah, we're, we're done. We reached peak banter. We need, right. to, need to go take it to Kendall now. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's the all Kendall show, folks. So our guest today is Harry Coleman. So Harry is making some of the best barbecue anywhere in South Florida at his Kendall. Yes, Kendall restaurant, Smoke and Dough. Uh, and he's making some of the most unique empanadas at his restaurant next door, Empanada Harry's. Uh, and what makes both special is he tries to bring a multicultural element to his food that reflects Miami. Uh, although he's Venezuelan, he bakes empanadas from all different Latin American styles, from crispy Colombian and Cuban to powder-coated Chilean empanadas, where his family's uh, originally from. Uh, and in between, he throws in his own mixes, like this decadent truffle mac and bacon and this uh, goat cheese and bacon date empanada. It's ridiculous. And same thing at Smoke and Dough. He bar- barbecues dishes like a cafecito rubbed brisket, a timba, guava, and cheese sausage, which is amazing, um, and a smoke flan that you would sell your children for. Um, and he comes from a long line of bakers going back to Chile, where his fam- like I said, where his family is originally from. But he kind of took a circuitous route to get there. Uh, he and his wife, Michelle, started out as journalists. Uh, and they got in the family biz when no one was hiring. And they started doing their own kind of empanadas when his, even after his dad was like, you can't, you got to make one kind of empanada. Uh, but he did his own thing. Um, and then just before the pandemic opened, uh, before the pandemic, uh, I'm sorry, just before opening Smoke and Dough, like, which was delayed by the pandemic, uh, he had a heart attack that almost killed him. And he's in his 30s. Uh, but let's not start with the heavy stuff. Let's welcome <laughs> Harry Coleman. What's up, Harry? Hey, guys. Hey, Carlos, Amy. Thank you. That was too nice. Uh, <laughs> but but going back to what Amy said, Carlos, um, he put us on the map. You, along with Burger Beast, uh, you know, Seth Burger and, Beast, and, and Kiko from Telemundo are my three biggest supporters. And um, that really helped get this little place in the middle of Kendall, you know, in a shopping center that doesn't have a great anchor and and bring people from Miami. So truly grateful for that. Well, I was going to say, Burger Beast gets a lot of the credit because I think Kiko lives out there. Yes, he I, used to. And I, yeah. And I found out about it later. But Burger Beast, who doesn't, who doesn't, who is not the most social of animals, got in his car <laughs> and drove through 
through through into the kingdom of Kendall, all the way over. All the way to, from West. Uh, to discover the empanadas and cross uh, the border. Yeah, so that's yes. why he's a past guest and he's an OG. So uh, yes, well he he's done so much for so many places in Miami and doesn't ask for one dime. So that that's something that one of the good guys. Yeah, yeah. he just he just reviews places like he started writing about places just because he liked them and yeah. he thought it would be fun to do. That's pretty great. Yes. Oh, yeah, Amy. So ask him the question: What's so great about Kendall? <laughs> Please tell us. You, you know, I live in this area. Uh, obviously, we our kids go to school here. Everything is here. And it's just an area where I know a lot of people that work in downtown or Brickell come here. And it's a very family-oriented. Before this, we worked in the beach for many years. And even though we had a lot of our same customers, it wasn't like we go to Publix and I run into customers. We go to, you know, a restaurant here in Kendall. We run into our people. And we go to the schools, the principal knows you because, you know, they come here and the teachers and it's, it's just a nice little environment. And everybody really looks out for one another and I think wants to support one another. Um, it's for Michelle and I, it's been a blessing, you know, to, to open here. And, and don't get me wrong, we were very scared in the beginning. We were here painting, you know, we didn't have money in the beginning to hire painters. And I remember being here at 10 in the morning painting with Michelle, nobody in sight. And I go to Michelle, I don't know if we made the right choice, you know, <laughs> being here. There's nobody. And it took a little bit for people to get the show. But then once they did, um, it, it, it felt rewarding for us, especially coming from South Beach when it's a completely different animal. Right. You, but you come from a long line of bakers, right? Like your like your baking family. How does that how does that go back? Wasn't it your grandmother? She's Chilean, right? Yeah, so, were so my grandma, Chile? yeah, my grandma had bakeries in Chile and Venezuela and here in Miami. And my mm. dad uh, even though my family is from Chile, he followed uh, my mom to Venezuela and then learned at the bakeries of my grandmother there. And then in 89, he got hired by a two-story, the, one of the first Venezuelan places to open in Coral Gables. It was a bakery that lasted a year and a half, maybe a year. And it was, you know, five owners, didn't work out. So my dad opened his own thing, Moises Bakery. And uh, it's, you know, I grew up there. Uh, we had no babysitters. So I was there every weekend when there was in school doing whatever I could. And growing up, I always wanted to do my own thing, which is why we went into, you know, went to journalism. Right. But at the end, I loved the food so much, right? And loved the scene and, and my dad teaching me. And I came back. I, I'm happy I have my degree, but it was, you know, it was something special to continue the family tradition. Yeah. What? Yeah, I was going to say, you said you grew up uh, in the bakery. What what yeah. made you want to do your own thing to begin with? Because like you said, you went, you studied journalism. You well, and Michelle, your, your wife and your partner there. It's hard work. My dad has worked every Christmas, New Year, Thanksgiving since 1991. And I've wow. worked them since 2003. You know, we do a lot of catering. It's a, it's a big time, a big responsibility for us. Yeah. And um, it's it's... If you have the grind to do it, it's very rewarding, but it's, it's very tough. And even my dad always goes, I want you to get your degree because I don't want you to be working every Saturday, every Sunday, every holiday. And, you know, I understood it. And then even when I got my degree and I told them I was going to give it a shot at the bakery because my grandma's bakery with my parents was struggling in South Beach. I was Char- like, give- Charlotte Bakery, right? Right. Yeah. Which we yeah. sold since because we opened okay. in Pana Harry's and they were going to build a, a, a hotel there. Which is, that's what made me open in Banana Harry's, right? Sometimes life throws you difficulties because they're, you know, the Jimmy Resnick, the, the shopping center owner goes, hey, they're going to, you know, we're going to build a hotel here in the future. So the business has to go. And Michelle and I looked at us, you know, each other and we were like, what are we going to do? 
And that motivated us. You know what? Let's open our own place. Let's do it our way. The same traditions, but spice it up a little bit and open it in in our side of town because we would, you know, commute every day an hour to, to South Beach. That so, sounds horrible. I'm surprised that two young guys, you, two young guys like you guys, didn't just like move into a, a, a studio apartment on South Beach or something and just you like, know we, live we that did South it for Beach life. We did it for six months and I like handle too much. Yes, living in this area, it's just different, man. And you know, growing up in in, in this area and and Fontainebleau too. We used to live in Fontainebleau. It was just I couldn't adapt and and I couldn't imagine myself having kids growing up in South Beach. It Where was did you in, look? Where did you look besides Kendall when you were trying to open Empanada Harry's? Were you looking? Were you looking in like any well, place we, west? We we lived in this area, so we were. My original thought was Fontainebleau because I grew up there, and I was like, you know, Fontainebleau is close to Doral. A lot of you know, I, I definitely didn't want Doral because it's very congested. And one day I, we saw the shopping center, and it said, you know, for rent. And I was like, okay, you know, let's let's go check it out. It's it was at the time it was a very dead shopping center, not much movement in this area, mm-hmm. and but it was a good price, and um, we didn't have to pay a key fee, which you know as, as some people know sometimes you have to pay fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars just to get the key. Uh, the shopping center owner goes, "You can have it. They're, they're leaving," and obviously we had to build it out, and it was it was very tough in that sense. But we're like, we're we're gonna do it, and we're gonna. You know, when Carlos mentioned my dad's stuff, my dad's like, you had to have cakes and you have to have this. And I was like, I don't want to do the cakes. I don't want to do all the, you know, the, the milojas and all the sweets. I want to focus on empanadas. And my dad's like, you can't just have empanadas. And I go, we're going to have tequeños. We're going to have other things. But empanadas are going to be what we want to showcase, right? Because especially the, the melting pot of Miami, all the, all the people that live here. And, and for the most part, you could only get a Peruvian empanada, a Peruvian place, a Venezuelan, Venezuelan, and, and, you know, et cetera. And I figured, why can't a, a Colombian, you know, gentleman come with his uh, girlfriend who's Chilean and, and both of them eat their, their empanadas, right? And then throw our mixes, our, our creative mixes. And uh, my dad wasn't too sure about it. Michelle and I, we were like, you know, we're, we're going to do this. It was our money in the end. So, you know, we were going to do <laughs> what Whatever we wanted. But uh, it's my life, dad. Yes. And, make and, us, and, you know, it's, it's that old school mentality that it's yeah. worked for so many years. And, and it's great. And, you know, you go to Moises and it's the same as it was in 1992. And it's great. I, you know, I don't want him to change it. But we wanted to, Michelle always says, bring this, you know, the baker to the century. Um, it, it doesn't have to always be the same way, you know, all bakeries have been ran and, and took a little bit. Don't, don't get me wrong. In the beginning, people didn't understand it. And little by little, it worked out. And, and you know, we're, we're blessed to have been here. Have you been to have you ever tried Millie's empanadas? Have you been to that place? Yes, I have. Cookie? Yes. And now they open not too far from us. Yeah. Oh, they're 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 on Miller or where are they at now? Because they moved. I think they were there. Now they're I think they're on Bird Road. The same. That was my that's my, my that used to be my post cycling indulgence. Oh, nice. Because it was like near the golf course. Right. Yeah. It was right. right there. Yeah. That place was that place was good. Those empanadas yes. are good. So are we gonna have are, are we gonna have color wars now? Or are you gonna be like <laughs> it's gonna be like me and the, a showdown? <laughs> the, the, that's it. A, mil, a, a Millie's and Empanada Harry's showdown. Like I'll cut you. I'll cut you for this empanada. I don't know. I think he's winning because he's got that smoking dough. You know. No, you know. Everybody has their own. What What I love about Miami is that everybody can have their own take, and and that's what makes this town beautiful, right? Like you, you know, they have Venezuela and we have Venezuela, but it's different. And mm-hmm. and like I always tell people, at least we have. We, I wanted to make sure we had all those countries represented, too. Right. Right. 
No, I mean, you go to Millie's for of Venezuelan empanadas. Right. For the ones that have the, the maicena on the outside or whatever that is, the, the corn, the corn, the corn flour. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, those are good. But I, after I eat those, I feel like a real fatty. Like I, <laughs> well, and people love the baked ones. It's baked empanadas yeah. are still our bestseller. I pretend like those are healthy, and I eat. I'll eat like three of them. These are baked. <laughs> They're healthy for me. Forget yeah. all the, forget all the the goodness and fat in them. Yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> Wait, do you ever? Because uh, I remember that that you did do some journalism for a while. You were a sports yeah. journalist. You were freelance. You were working for the Sun Sentinel for a minute. Um, did do you ever miss that? Do you have like a a favorite memory that you still hold? Like oh, I you know being like a locker room memory or meeting a certain athlete or whatever that. Well, my most, my most infamous memory is remembering when Nick Saban said he wasn't going to be the Alabama coach. I was oh there. Oh, my God. Were you there? I was there I was, at that press conference also. I was, I was there, and Dave Hyde was the only one with the cojones. Because you know, before it started, everybody's like, who's going to ask him? And everybody was, you know, everybody was afraid a little bit of Saban because he was so, you know, the way he is still today. And uh, Dave Hyde was the only one, and I was like, yeah. You know, like he, he asked. That's it, a and, guy. That was fun, but you know, I, I did copy editing too, and I and I would go in the locker rooms and stuff. But when I was doing the Dolphin, I grew up a Dolphins fan, Dan Marino. Sure, and when I was interviewing the players in the locker rooms, I realized, man, like there were some really nice guys, like Channing Crowder, one of, one of the nicest guys to interview. But some of the other guys were tough. And growing up, loving the team, it was like, wow, this is not what I imagined, right? Like you you have this perception that you're going to be interviewing all these athletes and like I said, some are great, but I was like, man, this is not what I thought it was going to be. You know, I you thought you were going to have nice, relaxing conversations right. with them. With for right. the most part, they treat you with contempt. Nobody. Yeah, <laughs> you got you got to see uh, for a guy who makes his own sausage at Smoking Dough. You got to see how the sports sausage. Yeah, right. you won sports for yourself by, by yeah. getting close. So, to so that part was a little was a little tough, <laughs> but I loved you know like you, Carlos, interviewing people and you know getting stories and. And, and all that, we apply uh, that degree, right? We apply to here because the food business is very similar. We talk to people, talk to our customers, find out their stories. Uh, we do our own menus. We use our newspaper in design programs to design our own menus, design our own ads. So at least, like I always tell people, we do put our degree to use, right? Just in a, in a different fashion. But, but it was fun, man. I, I worked at the Sentinel since my sophomore year at FIU. And uh, I, I loved every minute of it, but I'm... So happy to to be in the in, in the restaurant world. Oh, Burger Beast is telling us to ask you about your ham and cheese sandwich. Oh, I said <laughs> Burger Beast. <laughs> he, he says that his favorite thing here is the ham and cheese, and I just want to hit him across the face. <laughs> well, he said ham and cheese sandwich, right? Which right. is an empanada. So an is that an empanada, right? <laughs> yeah, an empanada is a sandwich. Unfortunately, yeah. he likes it with bread, not the empanada version. <laughs> oh, is it good though? Should I order the ham and cheese sandwich? No, it's 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 not good. Don't don't get that. If you come here, <laughs> get the better stuff. Get an if you're at empanada, Harry's. Yeah, get a good were, empanada. You know, brisket sandwich. Don't eat. You know, get the Reuben sandwich. Don't get the ham and cheese. Oh, okay. Are you doing a Reuben sandwich now? Are you yes. Doing are you doing yes. with your own? Because that was on you. Like you made yes. you made your own pastrami, and it was so delicious. And and you were like, please eat it on its own. And I did. And then I went out and I bought some rye. And you I made a sandwich at home, and it was amazing. And I was like, "Dude, you need to make." You so, need to do so, Ruben's so sandwich. we started making, and it's actually become our best-selling sandwich, right? Oh, look so, at that! So, big so you were right. Oh, you big were surprise! Right. <laughs> and uh, so it's actually the pastrami and rye is the best-selling. And the Reuben sells too, but the pastrami and rye is, I got you. is you know, it's just mustard pastrami and bread. 
It's What's possible. That? And Carlos might be a genius. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I'm uh well, I'm I'm actually a professional critic. I was going to say cuz I can <laughs> I can critique anybody and tell them how they should be doing it better, but I was honestly like this is so yeah. good and it's and honestly it's so hard to find a really great yeah. pastrami sandwich. You know, with just I don't know if you do it with just how do you do it? How do you do your pastrami so, sandwich? So so we get briskets, we trim them, we uh brine them for 7 nights, 8 days. Mm. I smoke them. Then I take them out at 180 and I steam it the rest of the way up to like 200. And apparently that's the traditional way of doing it where you would smoke it and steam it. Um, luckily, we, ha we have a, you know, an oven here that steams. So I have the, the luxury you could do it. Otherwise, you could just smoke it the whole way. But uh, it definitely takes you know, a good eight days to, to do a good brisket uh, pastrami. And, and what we love here is educating people because sometimes people don't know that it's made out of brisket or they just think pastrami is the cut. And I always tell people it's not like the boar's head version. This is, you know, something different. Right. And people have really, really, really enjoyed it. And I think part of our, our, our thing has been, too, that we're educating people on barbecue. And that's not a knock on people. It's just not a Miami thing. And um, luckily, you know, Michelle and I, we traveled out. We studied it because I wanted to make sure we were going to do barbecue. It wasn't going to be, oh, you know, the empanada guy makes good empanadas, but his brisket sucks, right? <laughs> so, so, so I wanted to make sure that if we were going to do something, we were going to do it the, the right way. Right. And, and you went to like a thing that nobody knew existed, which is barbecue school. So like basically yeah. like training, but it's not just like for Joe Schmo who doesn't know how to barbecue. It's for people right. who already own restaurants yes. to teach them how to improve their barbecue to make it like you know like yeah, world class it, level it, it wasn't even about the barbecue part it was you know the before and the after right because you smoke a, a brisket for 15 hours how do you hold it for service to serve that amazing brisket for the know? next 10 hours of the day right basically. yeah because you can't you know you don't want to reheat it you don't want to throw it on the plancha and uh the biggest part is how are we going to do this and do it the right way Right. So we went to Oklahoma. Um, those guys were amazing. One of the guys was Butcher Barbecue, who won uh, 2019 Jack Daniels Barbecue Invitational. Um, so we used, you know, his smokers, and and we wanted to make sure that, you know, it, it luckily because of the pandemic and everything, it gave us almost four years to really change up the way we were going to do it, and the way we started smoking to now has changed. You know, mm -hmm. there, there's certain things that we've learned along the way, just like the empanadas. There's things that we do differently from where we began. And I think that's the beauty. So I think definitely now we're serving the best barbecue that we have done because we've, you know, had so much practice doing so many briskets daily. You finally get the hang of it. And, and we talk, we're talking about briskets, but you make a lot of different things. But brisket yes. is the one that we talk about because that is so hard to do right, right? Because right. brisket is really two cuts of meat. It's like a leaner one and a fattier one. It's fattier almost like two separate muscles that just happen to be united yes. by this thin sliver of fat. So learning how to cook that is amazing. So one of the first places down here to do it really uh, like technically by the book was Hometown Barbecue. Agree. Yes. And it's just like salt and black pepper. Like that's it. That's the ingredients. But then these guys drinking pig added like right around the time you were getting ready to mm -hmm. open – they did a similar thing where they were like, you know, we're Caribbean, we're Miami. Miami right. has its own flavor profile, right? And where they added different kind of spice rubs. And you did a similar thing. Like, that's what makes right. your brisket so good is, well, one of the things you do is you rub it with, like, espresso the, the, coffee. The Cuban coffee, right? Cuban like coffee. And, and it gives it such a good bark that it comes out nice and dark. And, you know, if you look at it, you can think, oh, my God, this guy burned it. 
But once you cut it, it's it's you know I it's like I said like we wanted to and you know I love Texas barbecue, Kansas City, Carolinas. Mm-hmm. But I told, you know, my wife, if we're going to do this, it has to be our way and, a, and more of a Miami way, right? I don't want to – I'm not from Texas. I'm, I'm not going to pretend, you know, I grew up there and do Texas barbecue. You know, grew up in Miami and I wanted to do something good. And the funny thing, you know, mentioning the Drinking Pig and Hometown, when we announced we were going to open, there was no barbecue besides, you know, Shivers and Shorties and, and all right. those, those places. And – you know, due to Franklin and all the popularity, you know, barbecue has gained in, in, in the last five, eight years. Obviously, a lot more barbecue joints popped up in Miami. Right. And, and, and it's great because they're all great in their own particular way. Right. They all have their, their specialties. And I wanted to make sure we did some, you know, we could, you know, match our brisket up against anybody. But I wanted to smoke duck and I wanted to add guava to our ribs and I wanted to have uh, smoked tequeños and I wanted to smoke our croqueta. I wanted to make sure we were different. And, and, and I think that's, you know, doing the duck, for example, I thought I wasn't going to sell. I'm like, this, this item's not going to sell. And luckily, even the duck sells excellent now. And I'm very proud of the duck. And if you're adventurous enough to try it, uh, and those are the things that make you happy, right? When you do different things. And, you know, we did a smoked pate and... And it was excellent, but people were afraid of chicken liver. And we took that one off the menu. Right. Uh, we'll revisit that one day. But, you know, and, and it was excellent. But sometimes some things don't work. And as a restaurant, you adapt and you change. But, um, you know, that's what we wanted to do. That, that happens in – I was going to say that happens in journalism too. Like hmm. you write a story yeah. and that you read and your people read and you're like, this is a good topic. But people don't – for whatever reason, they don't get it. Or they more get it. And they are. Yeah. 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 I was going to ask you, um, Harry, like, what does the, the, the espresso coffee, like, what does it do to the flavor of the brisket? Like, aside from, aside from aesthetically making it dark, like, does it, what does it do to the actual flavor of the meat? You know, I always tell people it doesn't taste like coffee, you know, because some people are afraid they're going to eat it and it's going to feel like, like coffee. It doesn't taste like coffee. It's just, it really gives you a nice bark. So it gives you a nice almost bite right so you get it's moist inside but you get a nice initial bite from the bark so for me i think it's more about the bite than the flavor like the texture that it gives that kind of thing aesthetically yes yes and i've done it without the cafecito and i could feel the difference for example Oh, that's interesting yes what brand do you use like la llave you know uh, no, I actually, we use a Cuban brand that right now off the top of my head, I don't remember the name, Okay. Uh, but we switched from Bustelo years ago. We used to, you always use Bustelo maybe, you know, three years ago, we went to a more local company because Bustelo sold to Duncan and things changed a little bit. And we went to a, I wanted to go with a more local company that gave us better attention. And, uh, their, I think their coffee's, you know, is excellent. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, you had this. This thing happened kind of in the as you were as you were getting ready to smoke and uh, open smoke and dough, um, you had a heart attack. And Harry, you're what thirty? I mean, look at you. You look you look like a baby. When he thirty seven, was like this guy had a heart attack. He looks yeah. like yes, exactly. It makes you want to go to the doctor like right now. I know immediately. So, yes. so what? What? And, and I mean, you've told me a little bit. Uh, you've told me the the backstory of it, but but take me through it again. Like there's no, there was no. This is one of the things that comes with no warning sign, right? At least for me, it didn't. Um, I wasn't drastically overweight. My cholesterol wasn't bad, you know. So in that sense, the doctor, you know, said there was no explanation. Right. But uh, we ended up finding out my great-grandfather died at 35 in Chile of a heart attack. Wow. So the doctors, you know, pretty much said it was very hereditary. 
that oh, at wow. my age, there's no way, you know, you're supposed to get a heart attack, right? So I didn't know this, luckily, when I was having one. But with age, your heart uh, makes more vessels in order to sustain a heart attack. Uh, and that starts at about 47 years old. So usually anybody under 40 pretty much doesn't, like the doctor said 99% don't make it under 40. Because your, your heart's not wired to survive, to survive a, a heart attack. Because when you get older and your heart, you're, you're, you start eating so much crap, your, your heart starts creating its own bypass. Right, amazing, like, right? Your heart, save, yeah. your heart prepares itself. At, yeah. at this age, it doesn't. And I was uh, 100% clogged in the Widowmaker. Imagine, they call it the Widowmaker. That so, ain't fun. And you know, you're married and you have kids. And I'm married with kids. So you, and you almost uh, made a widow. This happened in the middle of the ocean. So Michelle and I, we went what? to Naples. We rented a boat. We were getting ready to open Smoke and Dough in two or three weeks. So we went to get away to refresh, come back, and, and open. And uh, I was lifting, lifting the anchor in, in, you know, pretty much in the middle of the ocean. And it was stuck to the sand, right? So I used all my force. And once I got it up, I threw up, and the pain chest was just an immediate pain right here. That it's it's it was awful. And I told Michelle, man, this must feel like what a heart attack feel, not knowing oh it was God. a heart attack. Yeah, it was. It was you you know, thought you you thought you wrenched the muscle or something. Yeah, I thought I pulled something, you know, and it wasn't going away. Uh, maybe I thought it was you know motion sickness from the boat, and it was just the two of us. And I'm not a, a boat guy, right? So I'm not this expert. I'm, you know, in the middle of the ocean. And I dove in the middle of the ocean because I go, Michelle, let me see if the water refreshing. Which Imagine that, me, you know, swimming in the middle of the ocean with a heart attack. And currently having a heart attack. Yeah. And, let me go uh, for a swim. So I, you know, I could talk about it now, but, you know, it was, it was, it's one of those moments. It happened October 2nd, so it hasn't even been a year. And uh, I got on the boat. You know, Michelle goes, I'm going to give you 15 minutes to see if it goes away. And when it didn't, I told her, you know, find the nearest beach. So luckily we parked, and I think it was uh, Sanibel or Captiva. And luckily okay. there was uh, road access. And uh, we called the ambulance, and, you know, she said, it looks a little weird. I'm going to take you in. And then halfway in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, she goes, oh, my God, you're having a heart attack. So she starts feeding me these pills and, you the know, all these things. nitroglycerin, right? And, yes. I, and I start, I, I almost felt... I was, you know, losing. Like I felt I was going away. You know, when you're going to sleep and you're, you know, I, I almost felt like, oh my god, that, that, that was the first moment I felt. I don't, I don't feel like I'm gonna make it. And we oh get to the god. hospital. It was very ER. The whole staff was waiting for me outside. They bring me in, and the doctor goes, "You're having a heart attack." And you know, I'm, imagine me. I go, "Are you sure I'm having a heart attack?" To, to the doctor, you know, I'm 37. Like, yes, listen, listen, empanada man. I yeah. got this. I got this medical thing. And he goes, we need to take you in right now. Every second, you know, counts. And, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, take me in. And the moment they went in through my arm, luckily they didn't have to open heart is the last option. And um, they went in through, you know, through my arm and they unclogged it and put a stent. And then the doctor told me there was no, um, there, <laughs> there was, sorry, like there was no explanation. You know why I'm I'm here. Sorry to get emotional. No, it's but, a, I know. mean it's it, that's that's a, you you and your wife live through the scariest thing that can happen. I mean it literally is the scariest thing that can happen. So I think it's it's natural to imagine to, you know, even, thinking, to even think about it. Yeah, you know? I'm thinking my wife. You know where the the, the business is. My kids. I'm like you know can't go right now because the doctor. You know I go to the doctor. What's my you know what are the odds? And he goes you know one in a thousand. And I go. 
Well, that's not as good as I thought it was gonna. You know, I don't know. I I wanted like one in fifty thousand. You know, you you hear that, and I was like, okay. From the moment, from the moment you felt the pain to the moment that they put the they 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 put the stent in you, like how much time elapsed? So luckily, I went in within two hours, or just about the two hour mark, and apparently that's the gold standard. Okay. I got you. Um, apparently, you know, for any men out there, if you feel a chest pain, they were explaining to me some men. You know, obviously, if you don't just collapse in the moment, if you're still up. Mobile, yeah. Mobile, yeah. right? Some men go home, pop a couple, you know, pills, lay down, and the pain will never go away unless you have an intervention. Right. And they literally, the, in those cases, that's it, why in, in most cases, people are young. They have this kind of heart attack. Right. They take a nap and they never wake up. And basically. they never wake up. And, yeah. and even if you do wake up, by the time you go to the hospital, your heart has, you know. So much damage, yeah. So much damage that you're not covered. When I left the hospital... He told me my heart was at 45%. And um, I went back in late January and he told me it was near one, you know, near 100% levels wow. now. Wow. So, That's a, such a yes. man. So wow. I, you know, I'm lucky that I recovered and, you know, and it was a dark time, but um, I'm happy to be here. You know, it's just, uh, it's just one of those things that really put in perspective. So this year, for example, we're going to close, you know, after Christmas, we're going to stay open. We're going to do our catering. We're going to close up until the first week of January. You know, I had to make changes in my life in order to to live, right? What's, you know, working all these holidays, you know, just what my dad said. What's it and for, basically? What's it for, what's, right? What's it for? If you don't have your health. Right. Yeah. If you, you know. can't enjoy it, if you, if, you have to, if you have to just work and there's no part of your life that right. you're just saying, I'm going to enjoy a vacation with my wife. I'm going to yeah. take the kids to, you know to the uh, one of the national parks or, yeah. or Disney or And that's or what I told my kids. You know, this year we're going to take them on vacation that week and, you know, enjoy the kids. My kids are 8 and 10, so I want to make sure I enjoy them. They're at a good stage now before they begin to hate me at one point, right? <laughs> you got about another three years before okay. they know everything. Good to know. <laughs> before, they, so, before they become so, uh, omniscient, you know, you got about three years before that. Yeah, so, you know, we'll do our Thanksgiving catering. We'll do our Christmas. And when I say Christmas, the 24th, you know, the sure. Noche Buena, we don't not do you know, too much for the 25th. And uh, we're going to do that and, and take off. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I love doing the catering. This past year, we did 110 turkeys for Thanksgiving, the day of. Uh, it was 60 smoked and the rest were oven uh, roasted. Wow. And, you know, it's a lot of responsibility. So I did, you know, we, we, ho- we did all this catering a month after my heart attack because we had already taken half the orders. Uh, and I told Michelle, I can't call people and tell them, you know, you're, we're not going to have your Thanksgiving meals this year. Right. Right. It's, it's a big responsibility. You know, that's 100 tables potentially that you could ruin their Christmas, right? If you, so, you know, I took- a, I, I, took, I wouldn't feel bad about ruining their Christmas. I'd be <laughs> like, listen, I survived a heart attack. You can buy a Publix turkey. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, like these you know, things are not equal, you know? It's, it's, it, I, no. it, it was actually like 45 days because, you know, October 2nd to, to, to Thanksgiving. And I have a great staff. So, you know, we, the staff help more than ever, you know, because I would get tired. Your, your first three months after a heart attack, I would have to come sit. And it's not my usual. I'm used to just running, running, running. And then I would be like, okay, I need to take a break because I just, you know, my heart wasn't there yet. And luckily it is now. And I'm exercising a lot. And, you know, Michelle's taking care of me. And, and um, you know, like I said, just, just blessed to be here and enjoy life now and, and I guess that I tell that to everybody and advice is just enjoy it because you never know. I almost felt it in two seconds, you know, gone and, and um, want to make sure I enjoy it now. 
Harry, what um, what is your life like now after that? Like how what not just what changes do you make? Like how do you feel? Like how are you? Luckily, I feel great. Um, some days I get a little bit more fatigued. I take five pills a day. Um, eventually, the doctor said I don't have to take them for the rest of my life if I you know continue losing weight and being healthy and exercising. Um, but we opened smoke and dough, right? So we, it was already delayed for so long because of the pandemic, paying rent. And uh, we opened in January. So my heart attack was in October, so we opened in January. And I, you know, we, we needed to open in the sense that we weren't going to be able to continue affording, you know, paying the rent. And we had hired staff. And once I hired staff, I needed to make sure I had hours for them and, and work. So they, you know, they, they worked at Empanada Harris for a little bit until we, we got open here. And um, we're working a lot, but I'm taking breaks. I hired really good people, really, really nice staff. I have a guy with me that's been with five years, my right-hand man who, you know, is, is there for me. And, and Michelle, man, Michelle could do everything I could do. Michelle could season briskets, trim, take them out of the smoker, you know, slice, like you name it. And, you know. I will say I almost thought about inviting Michelle rather than you on the show because <laughs> she'll be more interesting. I'll tell you that because <laughs> <laughs> you guys really are a team. Like of, yes. of a lot of the restaurants that I've seen, you know, um, you know, one person does front of the house and back of the house, but you guys literally are in tandem. It's like these, yes. you know, like these these twin atoms. You know, like you're always you're both doing the thing and you're both yes. doing the smoking and you're both going to barbecue camp. Yes. You know, like you're both. Uh, and and uh, and I think that you guys make a really great team. And yeah, know, she's so. you know she's my rock and and um, keeps me going. You know, her, I do everything for her and the kids. Right, that's what I always tell them. And I always say, you know, God gave me a second chance because my kids and my wife. You know, those are maybe that's what kept me you know going. And and uh, it's nice when you have that because there's not too many mom and pop places. You know that. And it's hard, you know, to open a business, especially from zero. It's not only is it a lot of money, but it's a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that all that stress, of, you know, constructing smoke and dough is what led to also, you know, the heart attack. It was very stressful. You know, Michelle and I during the pandemic, you know, we were scared when, when March, you know, 2020 hit. We're like, wow, are we going to lose some part of the Harry's? Our smoke and dough might not happen. Um, and Michelle and I slept. And when I say slept, I mean we were here. Every Saturday night from March to October, smoking, because, you know, we didn't have the kitchen, so we were smoking outside, and we needed to man the smokers, and we were here every night. Uh, it was the only way we were going to survive, and set, we sold out every Sunday, and I kept thinking, this might be the last one, and when we were sold out, we were like, okay, well, we'll keep doing it every Sunday, and we did that from March to October, and that's what kept us afloat, and that's wow. when I told Michelle, we were going to have hot dogs and barbecue, and I told Michelle, forget it. We're going all in on barbecue. This, you know, this is what people people want, right? And and yeah. And I know you were. I know you were worried that people wouldn't get it. You like, uh, and, yeah. You know, and as far as you know, the the because the barbecue that we're so used to, like you said, is like Shorty's barbecue, where right. everything is it feels more like long grilling. You know what yes. I mean? <laughs> Versus like barbecue, which is really like two hundred degrees, cooking it for. T- Eight, twelve, fifteen hours versus right. uh, you know uh, like a like a, a grill a grill out that you do in you know in your backyard. It's a totally different monster. But it sounds like people have gotten it. People get it. People people you're, have you're gotten busy, it. And, right? and and the staff does a great job, you know, explaining it too. Because sometimes we run out of brisket and people are like, you can't just do another one. And you have to explain, you know, the brisket goes in the smoker. Even if I wanted to, it won't be ready until tomorrow. 
you know, so it's not <laughs> una palomilla, you know, vuelta y vuelta, and let me take it out. Right. So, so you know, we've we've so gotten barbecue. I'm sorry. It's not like a churrasco; they just throw it on the right. Uh, so, the- so we've had to explain it, and then little by little, people understand it, and um, you know, for the people that get it, it's awesome. And then the people that don't, you know, like the other day, we had uh, an older gentleman, you know, uh, an older Cuban guy, and he didn't know what brisket was, right? And but he wanted me, and I go eat the brisket, let, you know, let me know. And he has it, and he says, "Oh my God, this is the most amazing, you know, meat ever," right? And I explained it to them, and it's it's a joy to explain it because my mom was one when I started doing brisket. My mom was like, "Get brisket," you know, like I was gonna say, say brisket in Spanish. Brisket. <laughs> <laughs> so so you know we've we've you know I put my I, I see it in my parents how I had to explain it to them, and we do the same thing to people. And then once you explain it, and people try it. They're wow. This is you know this is not like churrasco. Churrasco is great. But you get to try something totally different, and that's been very rewarding. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, Harry, I, I think what you've done both at both restaurants is really admirable, and I think that you really have created two great Miami institutions that I think that that are like it's not a flash in the pan anymore. I think you're really uh, you're really doing something special, and uh, and and I'm I'm grateful for it. I know you saved Kendall. You single-handedly saved Kendall. You know, luckily, um, obviously, Chef Adrian was the pioneer, I want to say, and then Finca opened, and Mm -hmm. great places like Mr. and Mrs. Bun, Sweet Melody. You know, these are amazing places. You know, a lot of people include us in that list, and I and I think that that the area demanded it and rewarded the people that took the risk of of coming here, right? So, so I think that you're starting to see more and more. You know, not only is the rent more affordable, especially for the mom and pops you know, like Michelle and I, mm. but people in this area, you know, they want to eat and they don't want to travel to the Gables, you know, the Gables or breakaway, have a few drinks and then come back home. You know, you yeah. want to be able to, which is great. You do it every once in a while. And then it's nice to have it in, in your area too. Yeah. Like on a Tuesday, do I really have to get in the car and schlep to Wynwood or to right. Pickle? Like, wouldn't it be great to just go to Finca? Or <laughs> go to, you know, get some ice cream at Sweet Melodies or go to, yeah. uh, you know, go to Smoking Dough and get some empanadas, you know? Yeah. yeah so I think, I think that, that you've, you've figured out, you're one of the folks who really figured out that uh, feed the people where they are. There is a market right? for, there is a market for all of these, you know, outlying suburbs. Yeah, yeah. of course. And, and you got to also understand your market. For example, you know, you go to Wynwood and the Gables, it's mostly QR codes, let's say, for menus. Yeah. Uh, that QR code doesn't fly here. (laughs) Right. Like like we have it, but people want the physical menu. So you have to understand your area and how you're going to deliver it. Especially during the week, you know, the weekdays, there's a lot to go. You know, people are busy working, order a feeds four that brings, you know, enough food for four and you go home and you enjoy your family. And, and it's, it's just a different area. Once you understand it, it could, you know, work out for you. Right. Well, Harry, before we let you go, we have to ask you to play our game. All right. Uh, we, you got to play Kiss, Mary Kill with a food item. Okay. So, uh, so we're, we're going to try to tailor it to you. Uh, I, you're, so your truffle mac empanada is iconic. Yes. So Kiss, Mary Kill, truffle mac empanada, cafecito rub brisket, and smoked flan. Who do you kiss? Who do you marry? Who do you kill? Uh, you made it very hard. All right. For well, me. while you while you think about that, Amy, that smoked flan. So what he does, he takes a flan and he smokes it for five hours 
oh in God. the smoker. And like, you know, if I make a flying in the pressure cooker here, which by the way, they're very good at home, but you know, it might be like 25 minutes. So mm-hmm. imagine the process. And when it comes out, he flips it and the caramel is what has really the strongest the flavor. flavor. And, 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 the, and, and it's like this, I, this, if you're having barbecue and then you have it, you're like, this is a delicious flan. But if you've had nothing else, you don't have the barbecue flavor in your mouth, like the next day you have just the flan, it's like having dessert barbecue. Yes. Oh. It is unbelievable. It is really one of the most delicious things that I've had down here. Well, the, the first so. time we did it, I, I, you know, I told Charlotte, it's either going to be awful or really amazing. But I figured <laughs> it was no in between, right? Because I go, my taste, you know, like we did a, a smoked uh, chocolate mousse and it was awful. It, oh. was, it tasted like a burnt <laughs> cigarette, you know. But l- l- luckily the flan worked out for us. Uh, but, you know, I think I will marry the flan. Because wow, look at it's that. Always, it's always nice to have sweetness, right? Mm-hmm. You, you want the sweetness. Okay. Um, so it was Mary, kill, and what was the other one? Kiss. Kiss, Kiss. is just a little That's fling. Just, Kiss the brisket, and I would, I would kill the empanada of truffle. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. The empanada, tr- empanada oh. hair, he kills the empanada. You know, I've been making that empanadas is... for so long and <laughs> that that brisket is just too good right now to, oh, to kill it. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll defend yeah. that. He's on to the new thing. Yeah. But, but fortunately, empanadas are still game changers. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Harry, thank you for making the time for us. It was great catching up with you. It was great seeing you. No, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me and, and keep supporting, you know, the hood here in, in Kendall. Yeah. Thank we you. Would. The culture of Kendall. <laughs> yes. take care Harry you too guys thank you empanada Harry oh what a nice guy super nice guy yeah super nice guy and doing something really um, doing their own thing you know doing their own thing but really listening to Miami and doing it with a lot of skill with a lot of dedication to skill because a lot of people that that have like a taste level but don't have the skill to meet it you know and I think that you well, know, a guy who's, who's a baker understands temperature and heat and time, and that translates, I guess. So, it's well, fantastic. I think one of the, the important things that he that he pointed to is that like there's a lot of restaurants in Miami that just try to do too much, mm-hmm. and they end up doing nothing well. Right. And I think I think what he's done with two different concepts at this point is he's taken two different kinds of of food, you know, the empanada and the the, the barbecue, and he's just gone super hard for both of them, and like done the most with both of them and so i think that's i think that's 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 where you find the art in 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 cooking is when you find something and you just create it just do the hell out of it and i think that's what he does and the kingdom of kendall is very lucky to have him that's right yeah no they're fantastic and you know what like we don't need another cheesecake factory you know we don't need a place that does you know has a 75 item menu like do you want barbecue you think of this place i'm gonna go barbecue you want some empanadas you go to an empanada place like right I'm okay with that. I'm I'm okay with not being able to get everything everywhere. Exactly. I think that's that's kind of the I think that's the key to their success. Is they they found what they're good at and they just went really hard for it. Yeah. Well, Amy, have we reached the end of the show? We have. We have reached peak podcast today. All right. We gave you all the Kendall you wanted today. We All right. I think I, I think I've gotten it out of my system. Kendall, I Kendall, I... Kendall, 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 Kendall. Mole, like mole, 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 mole. Kendall. Mm-mm. We gave you all your Kendall, folks. Thank you. All right. Let's call it a show. All right. Peace out, Amy. Till next yeah. week.